Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. G-A-L-D-E-M-G. Hello and welcome to Galdem's first ever podcast. Inspired by our book, I Will Not Be Erased, our stories about growing up as people of colour. My name's Liv, I'm Galdem's founder. And for those of you who don't know, Galdem is an award-winning media company committed to platforming the voices, perspectives and creative work of women and non-binary people of colour. Hello, I'm Charlie. I'm the head of editorial at Galdem and I'll be co-hosting our podcast with Liv. We're super excited to be starting our journey with you. Each week we'll invite a guest to respond to old diary entries, letters or text messages from their younger selves. The point is to nurture important discussions about growing up. You can find Growing Up with Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our podcast, Growing Up with Galdem. This week's episode of Growing Up With Galdem mentions overt racism, prejudice, homophobia, transphobia and homelessness. So if you don't feel comfortable listening to those topics, then please listen to another episode instead. Today on Growing Up With Galdem, we are joined by the incredible Tanya Compass, who is an award-winning youth worker, community organiser and the founder of the fund Exist Loudly. Exist Loudly is a community-based organisation set up to provide spaces of joy and community for queer black people. We've known Tanya for a long time. We've worked on her on an array of different projects and she's also someone that I'm really happy to call a friend. She uses her social media platforms to speak on her experiences as a queer, mixed black woman loudly and openly and often speaks on topics around body positivity, mental health, understanding queerness, finding community and most importantly, joy. You know, I feel like Tanya's energy is infectious. So, yeah, we're really, really happy to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That's a nice introduction. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Tanya, I wanted to check in with you firstly about your work with Exist Loudly, because I saw it obviously popping off over summer. You did a big fundraiser. But what have you been up to since then? What's been keeping you busy? Oh, it's been so busy. I'm not even going to lie. It's, you know, we had the fundraiser and I was only aiming to get 10K and then it quickly got like 50K in like 24 hours. And then we got up to like 100K by the 111K by the end of the month. Because I've got relationships with other organisations that I think for me, where I do have a social media platform, I do know it is easier for me to reach out to the right people that have access to funds and wealth, etc. So I was like, yeah, let me split it with like other LGBTQ plus organisations that are either black run or have like specific black groups for young people. And um, so, you know, I split the money off with Gender Intelligence, who work with trans and non-binary young people. And they've got a group, Colours Along Those Lines, that works specifically with black and POC, trans and non-binary youth. So they've used that money now to actually hire um, two black staff members. Which you've got Colours Youth Network, which do like massive event over in up in Manchester uh, for again POC and black youth. So I get, they got the money for that, and they've been doing a slay in your lane like online like webinars and stuff for young people. And then there's that like, unmuted Brahm who work with like black and POC people up in Birmingham, and then Rainbow Noir who work um, with black and brown people up in Manchester. Does it ever feel sort of overwhelming the amount that you're sort of trying to rectify, the amount that you're trying to, yeah, make better? Yes and no. I think I'm part of it because it's expected, like, which is sad, it shouldn't be expected. But I think especially with the work that I've done with the LGBT organisation um, the year or so ago, that for me was, you know, you're working with the most invisible young people who are going through stuff that you would never even believe that's happening still now. Like, I think a lot of people think that you got a couple of black and brown people on campaigns and suddenly now it's safe for all black and brown people to exist. There's queer and trans and stuff and it's just not simply not the case. And it's it's just not okay and it's just kind of really, really hard to see it, but also I know it, it's expected. So for me, the research wasn't necessarily to find out information I don't know, but more so to prove the information that I know so that people can't question and be like, oh, but everything's fine. Like, Why do these young people need to have these spaces? Why is the space just for black people important? But yeah, I think it's like it's always expected. And I think that it was just more of a way to show other people this is actually what's happening and having statistics to back it up. Because when I've done programming, for example, with young women, when I wanted to prove to funders as to why, for example, I need to cover childcare and why us not hitting the numbers in which they wanted, we weren't going to hit the numbers because they weren't providing childcare. And then they asked, well, why, if, if we don't have to cover these costs for the, the boy programme, why do we have to cover it for the girls? I went on my Google statistics show, like, I think 66% of young women who are unemployed are unemployed because because they have killed children and they can't cover childcare. So I could literally go that, went straight with the statistics and now suddenly they're covered childcare. Whereas I can't do that with anything specifically for black and queer and trans youth because it doesn't exist. I mean, there's only a couple they have in the US, like the Trevor Project run one, especially particularly around like black um, queer youth for mental health, which is really, really great. And like, but again, that's all US-based. We don't have anything here in the UK that's specifically exploring it, the Black British um, queer and trans experience. And, you know, just asking the young people what their experience have been within the school and stuff and, you know, what what is some of the language they've heard from both teachers and also students alike. And it, again, it's very, very, very British. And it's very, like, you see the whole, the batty boy this and da-da-da. And it's like all, lang- and it's also because they know it's Black people that are doing it because the guy, the main guy I was working with, Raf, um, from the from the research company, he's a black queer man. So they know it's it's only black people reading it, so they don't have to explain it, which is actually really nice. When they wrote certain things, there was no need for them to explain what that meant. And yeah, and I think the research is gonna, I mean, now we're going to go into like a every quarter now we're going to be I'm paying I'm actually now going to pay them for work, and I think I'm going to look for people to pay <laughs> people to sponsor it soon. But it is this thing of actually making sure that we can really 
you know, look further into these experiences. So looking at, you know, why is it that we had like 60% that were young women um, versus I think maybe only 20% that were young men that were doing it? Is that, does that have anything to do with either, for example, potentially my reach or alternatively the way in which it may be easier for young women to identify as queer when they're younger as opposed to young men? And um, when we look within black communities and stuff. So there's a lot more that we have to look into, you know, looking into black people's experiences within care system, those that were in pupil referral units, those that have been in prison, etc. So actually really looking deep, delving deeper into their experiences. It's so important. It's so important. I think there is such like a dearth of research on, on so many fronts when it comes to being black in this country. I think that's something that we found a lot in a lot of the reporting and the and the investigations that we've worked on, even with our TED Talk, Charlie, we were like, where are the stats that actually show like this specific experience and they don't exist? So I think it's really important and like incredible that you're able to, you know, embark on this kind of huge research project that spans the whole of the UK and, and gets real like numbers and stats to back up all of these things that we yeah. know to be true, that we know exist, that we know are a thing, you know, so... Tanya, my my journalism brain is like ticking as well. I'm like, I need yeah, I can to see. see. She's she's just she's like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I need to see the results. <laughs> yeah, because that when you really deep it, like we don't have like I think the reason why we have to do the research anyway is because we have to the funding and those that are in control of the money are all white people, most importantly, and also may also be cis and heterosexual, so they're not even going to understand the queer experience, let alone the nuance of the black queer experience. So it's like you actually have to prove it, which is a shame having to prove and justify why my work is necessary, why the work of other organisations is also itself necessary. So it's just like, I shouldn't have to be doing this. Yeah, yeah. The work has to be done. And I think it's it's taken a lot, uh, that's taken a lot of the chunk of the money and stuff, obviously from the the fund, the initial fund that I got. But for me, it's worth it because I know that once I've got the research done, I'll be able to get getting funding and securing future funding for work. It's been important. But I think that for me, the nicest thing recently has just been that we had our first workshop Two weeks ago, and then Travis led it, and it was like the cutest thing ever. It was so cute. Um, it was a writing workshop, and you know, Travis is at, Travis Alabanza is honestly the most incredible human being just ever. And the way in which they help young people use words and actually also find confidence in their words and not having to change their language to fit in other people's perception of them, but actually just use the language that they have available to them, the language that makes them feel comfortable. And again, we had young people from like Scotland, from Oxfordshire, from all type of places. We had somebody that was from Grenada that's like, but but is living in the UK right now. And it's like, for some of them, that's the first time they've been in a queer space. And I think, like, I love doing face-to-face stuff, but I think that particularly showed me that I think that I will still consistently do online stuff because, you know, there's for those of us that are in London, it's so easy to connect and stuff like that because, oh, it's not even easy for some of them, but like it's easier to connect because we've got more of a visible community. But for those people that are in really white areas and that means that even if or even at really white universities so even the lgbt society for them is just bare white and they're thinking i don't want to be here and then they go to the maybe go to the acs and like y'all are homophobic and transphobic i don't want to be here either and they just end up just having to just exist in a space by themselves and then obviously seek community through online spaces how does it feel for you because obviously you're someone that's worked like in the third sector for a long time and like how does it feel to have to be able to, like, with Exist Loudly and, like, just in general with the work that you do, to be able to carve out the spaces that that weren't there and, like, outside of that kind of specific political whatever framework and navigation you were doing, how 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 does it feel? It must feel great, right? Oh, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. I'm not even going to lie, it's absolutely wonderful. Like, it's so wild to think that I can actually do stuff without having to justify or explain or ask people to understand. I think that I've worked in so many spaces where, you know, 
I've wanted to create a space, like LGBT programme, they said, why can't the LGBT young people just join the other programmes? And it's like, well, what have you done to make LGBT young people feel safer than your programme? And then you go into the other hand, where you're like, you know, why do you want to do something that's specifically black? What? And it's just like, you have to, I just, and it's so frustrating. And then they want to police me. I've been policed so many times by like previous jobs in terms of how I talk around certain issues, how I talk around whiteness, how I talk around this and that. How I talk about, like, I got one charity that I worked out for, and then put me in the first couple of weeks, and I was t- tweeting about like police brutality or something. I said something like "fuck the police" or some shit, and then the head of HR, who was like an old white woman, contacted who I never knew even followed me. So why she was on my Twitter, I don't know, because she didn't even follow me. She then copied the tweet and sent it to my manager, and was like, "This isn't good for our organization." Having Tanner taught this, and I was like, "Well, this is what I'm gonna talk about." So I was like, "If you evidently have no understanding of the young people that we're working with, if you feel like this," and she was like, "Oh, because my my daughter's a police officer. Talk to your daughter then." Like, it's not my problem. And I think it, that, for me, being policed on that is so frustrating. So be able to now just do so completely freely. Like, even when I had all the... Obviously, after the research, there was backlash from TERFs because they were saying, I'm pushing this, like, agenda to make young people want to be trans. And then I'm thinking, young people know. It doesn't matter if they're 12 or 25. They're going to know... They, they already know who they are. And um, even with that, I literally just told them to suck their mums. And I felt of an organisation, I would 100% be, like, pulled up on it. Told them to fuck off, told them to suck their mums, told them whatever. And you had all these terse and being like, oh. Well, they brought a lot of harassment, online harassment to your door. Like, a lot of it. It was not, it wasn't, like, a, a innocent. Oh, yeah. They posted up my family address. They posted your family address, did you say? So I had registered um, It's Just Loud as a limited company. Mm. years ago just off the whim because again I've been feeling like this slider for ages and but obviously I've never done anything with it never really understood it so I paid for it to get registered and then I never done obviously any of the tax forms I've never done anything with it so it just got um dissolved or whatever it was automatically and obviously these when it came when it they were looking into this loudly because they're pushing this whole agenda that I work with paedophiles that I'm a groomer that I'm putting kids in rooms with like it's just stupid and they and they created all these fake twitter accounts saying like minor attracted person that's it and they create these fake accounts saying that they, they work through this loudly and all this stuff. And then these people will literally go, like, they, they then went, were looking, trying to find ways to take away, to, like, drag down this loudly and myself. And then next thing you know, they posted up, oh, but it shows here that she lives here or that she used to live here, but this is this is addressing, addressing Northwest London and da-da-da. And luckily, obviously, my family had moved out of the house by now, but, like, it's just, like, it's just wild this, this length they were going to. And, like, even then you get, like, you get journalists like uh, stupid like Janice Turner and stuff trying to write these like articles and stuff and it's just like it's so inflammatory and it's so and if I was just saying LGB there would be no issues like, loudly supporting trans youth for them it's like I'm pushing an agenda because they don't believe trans people are a thing and it's just like that in itself but even knowing in that point I didn't have to answer to anybody in terms of how I responded to them because people always a lot of the time organizations try to stay quote-unquote apolitical but it's like you can't be apolitical when the work you do is very inherently political because the lives of the people that you're supposedly supporting is political. So why am I now going to stay on one side? Or why am I going to, you know, why do they deserve to have nuanced conversations or polite conversations when they're literally completely negating and violently negating trans young people and trans people in general? So it's like it was nice for me to be able to like just be like, no, use whatever language I wanted to use do whatever I wanted to do without having to answer to somebody who wants me to, to me to be more palatable. And I think that's that for me in itself is really, really great because it just lets me know like I can just do whatever I want. Yeah. And I think we can definitely empathise with that in terms of what we do at Galdam and, and how we've 
yeah, similarly, we've managed to create a space where we can call out all of the gross facets of the media industry without any sort of retribution. Uh, maybe a year ago now, we ran an article against like the Times and the Janice Turners of the world, just because we'd had enough of like, listen to their transphobia. So yeah, but I'm sorry that you went through that because that is dark as fuck. And I just I don't understand why people behave like that. We should probably listen to your extract now because it's been so cool to hear about Exist Loudly. I was looking through my diary and I started, I kept a diary from like 2017 and I looked through it and it was like, oh, and it was really nice looking really like around counselling reflections from like when I first started going counselling then. Um, and that was not too long after, like maybe like a year or so after I just came out and obviously at that point I was like, I need to go therapy. And yes, yeah, so these are some reflections from one of the sessions. I think one of my first sessions actually and it just says, if you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable and express when you're feeling sad, angry or hurt, how can you expect anything to change? Allow people a chance and opportunity to meet you halfway. If they choose not to, at least you can continue slash discontinue the relationship from a place of honesty as opposed to that of deception. Fear of abandonment, fear that if I don't fulfil the other person's need, I have to tell them something difficult or hurtful or sad, except that they'll leave equating emotional vulnerability to weakness, feelings of guilt, not wanting to burden someone with my own problems, I allow myself to become an emotional dumping ground, but then internalise everything. The feeling of not being enough, if I give somebody enough space apart from me, they'll find somebody better. Fear of setting boundaries, not seeing the value of my own feelings, emotions, slash needs, and prioritising somebody else's needs over that of my own. Without boundaries, you can open yourself up to toxicity, You'll continue to give and drain yourself emotionally and mentally until you reach breaking point. You can forgive somebody without having to continue a relationship with them. You're not obliged to be there for anybody but yourself. That's lovely. So that was a diary entry post-therapy in 2017. And were those things that the therapist had kind of like given to you or were those like your own reflections having had this session? It'd be lovely to hear a bit more context. I went to counselling at that point because that's when my work with the charity sector got started getting really, really, um, that I supported a lot of like really vulnerable young people. And I had to say, I had to say to my job, like, if you want me to carry on doing this work, you're going to have to pay for my therapy because I couldn't afford it. Then my job paid peanuts. So, and then they were like, okay, we'll cover you for like once every two weeks. So every two weeks I go, I, I start going to therapy. And then through that, like it was also partly working out like my relationship with family because the kind of friction with my family wasn't even anything to do with my sexuality at that point. It was actually more so to do with, how of how I speak about race and how that can cause that cause like fractions whatever in my family and also when it comes to dating and stuff and like actually I think when it the difference with dating women versus men and how it was a lot easier for me to have boundaries with men versus with women because you have so much more leniencies and stuff and then ended up like completely negating my own needs and stuff like that and then so a lot of it was talking through my therapist and then afterwards like, like she would like tell me have you thought about this and have you thought about this and kind of pose questions to me and these were kind of the thoughts that came up for that session so I literally had a case scope my therapist was down so mixed race women actually um from Suriname it's like my dad's my dad's from French Guyana so there was like obviously some awareness there and like afterwards I sit on the bus back to where he's living Hackney then and like sit on the bus back on Hackney and kind of like write down my reflections for me to kind of go back and think think about and it was kind of yeah that's the the thoughts that came out of that session has it always been important for you to keep those kind of reflections from your therapy sessions? You've spoken a bit about um, making the decision to go to therapy. Did you have anyone who was suggesting that it's a thing that you should try or did you just know 
I need this because of the stress of work and like all of the emotional labor that I'm doing. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It was a mix, to be honest. So I got into therapy because I knew personally I needed it, but I also didn't know how to seek it. And then I was dating somebody at a point and he spoke a lot about therapy and I was like, oh, like, actually, why can I too not get into therapy? When I first started going to therapy, every session religiously afterwards, I would write in my diary. Whereas now, not so much. I think when I was going through the, like, the deep stuff, that is when I would really make sure I'm reflecting on it because I personally needed to more so. Um, and I think even when I started with my current therapist now, I started with her last year in May after that, obviously, my experience all the homelessness and stuff. So I was like, OK, went into that. And then after that, because I was dealing with so much heavy like trauma, like personal, more so than what less so work-related trauma, more so personal trauma. I was like working through that and I would start writing in my diary after those sessions again, just to get my thoughts together. But now I don't. Do you look back on your journaling from therapy? No, I actually don't. And that's why it was really funny looking through this because I don't, like, now I'm so strong in my boundaries. I'm so strong in myself. I'm prioritising my needs. So it's actually re- it was actually really, really nice to reflect on that because I've changed so hugely from then to now. And it's like I've really, fully learned like prioritising myself and my boundaries. And also that in itself has a much more positive impact on my work because it's, and, you know, work with young people and stuff. I'm not, I don't 
burn out in the same mm. way that I used to burn out. Because you can see it now. You can see it coming and you know what the steps are that you need to take. Yeah, you literally know. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm take I'm gonna take a break. Or actually, I'm gonna manage other people's expectations. Like even went into like when it came to you know doing the payments for the young people in the research, it was so much more work than what I had originally anticipated. So I can send an email to young people like, listen, it's gonna come in about ten days instead of like, the, the week the this period I said it was, and that's it. Like I had to I I'm not I wasn't gonna kill myself and try and send five hundred payments in one night because it's impossible. And I was like, you know what? Let me turn them beforehand because I already know. I'm not going to be able to do it in the time that I already gave it. And that, for me, was even really, really important. And just to be like, you know what, like, appreciate your patience. Apologies for any inconvenience, but it's going to come at this point. And, you know, they may be upset, they may be mad about it, but that's more so for a them thing that I have to deal with. But I need to prioritise myself because at the moment, anyway, I'm still a one person doing this, like, work. So it's just like, I have to put myself first. And I never would have done that a couple of years ago. I would have killed myself to get everything out and to please whether it's, um, my you know, young people that I'm working with or employers or friends or family or partners whatever it may be so it's like actually yeah looking back it's it's mad to see the difference it's actually mad one thing that I love that like I got back when I emailed you about coming on the podcast was you're out of office yeah and I was just like this is so direct (laughs) and so clear and like you know I'm a human and these things will take time and also don't add me to this list. And also, like, if you're requesting my time, you request that time with a payment. And if you haven't, like, respond and request with full information. And I, and, and I was like, I rate it. I have to do that. Cause I think because of the nature of my work, a lot of people expect that I'll do things for free. And it's mm. like, actually doesn't work that. And I'm so, again, when it comes to work with young people, and particularly, even with young people, because if they have these organisations where everyone's going to get paid and they're hiring hiring me to do something but they're not paying me like why is it that you take get take my home money but meanwhile I'm spending my day and days prior preparing and doing everything to now just actually not have that yeah to not have any any payback for it so it's like for me I've like my voluntary hours that I do are specifically for um things with queer black youth particularly but also PSE youth as well like if it's like with college youth network or whatever like I'll happily volunteer my time with them guys for free because that's work that I personally love and enjoy and I wouldn't take anything from those people. But, like, a lot of these companies and stuff, they'd reach out and, you know, they'd, you'd go through all these email back and forth and stuff, but only for them to tell you there's no budget. And I'm like, you've just wasted my time now. Mm-hmm. And, like, my time is so precious, especially now where I'm balancing all the stuff with, like, the social media stuff, but along particularly now if it's loudly. I don't have time to ask for a budget or to justify why I need budget because I got so many, especially over Pride last year, which is what made me write that. I got like all these brands and stuff asking me. I had one big brand that was asking me, "Oh, do we want to do? You know, send me the whole thing of deliverables and all of this and all this tons of work." And this is like a billion dollar massive company. And I was like, "What's your budget?" And they said, "Oh, we don't have budget, but we'll and make a donation for of like two hundred pound to a charity, an LGBT charity." And they're like, "But it has to be a charity of their choice." And these are just all the bait charities. Sometimes I don't have time to call them out, but sometimes I really do. <laughs> sometimes you will make the time. <laughs> sometimes I make the time, and I literally called them out, and I was like, "You can't be expecting queer people's time for free, especially queer black people's time." Um, da da da. Called them out. I was like, "You can't." you can't choose for me. And especially at the time when I when I was like oh, back on universal credit, I had no savings, I had nothing because all of my work dried up. And it was just like, they were asking me, me to do this stuff for them for free. And I was like, during a pandemic, during the resurgence of Black Lives Matter movement, you're asking queer black people to work for free. And you're making the choice for me that you're donating my fee to somewhere else. 
I was like, you can't make that choice for people because you're assuming now that everyone that is just because we're in a public eye, that everyone's financially stable because that's not the case. And I ended up getting a message back from the CEO. Of, and again, this company massive. The CEO messaged back a groveling email. Oh, next time we'll make sure we give people the choice and da, 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 da. And I'm like, you're just, it's, I didn't respond to that because it's just like, you're now wanting me to like, you know, soothe your feelings and, so I was like, you know, let me just cut out all this bullshit and actually just put in my resp- all response. Because I think, like, I work with brands because it makes, it, help, it helps me make money. And it does. And it keeps make, make sure that I can do the work with this loudly and continue doing that without having to go back into full-time work or part-time work like I was beforehand. However, I'm also not going to completely absolve myself of all of my morals and my values and everything just to keep these brands happy. Because I don't really, in all honesty, they're not important, important to me. What's important to me is the work I do with young people. I don't really care about that. So I'm really grateful for that. However, I'm also not going to essentially become their bitch to and let them do whatever they want. Yeah, but it's good. It's good to it's good to know to have your you know a, a clear compass in terms of like why you do the things that you do, and it's great to be able to you know know that I do these things and it facilitates these things, and it's you know and that's the end goal. You know, I think that's really important. I think sometimes I think that like because you want to do, that people really want the validation from brands, and so therefore they they're so used to undercutting people in terms of how they pay people. And stuff like that. So they're thinking, oh, this person to be grateful that I've chosen them to work for me. So I'm going to underpay them. And they're not going to ask for more money because they want what they just want to be seen to be on our platform. Yeah, I don't care. Like, it, and, I th- and I really hope that other people start understanding this, that like, they need us more than we need them. Because when you advocate for yourself to get paid, hopefully that will then have the positive impact where they also understand, OK, next time, actually, let's make sure that everyone can get paid. I feel like we've spoken about how you've gotten from like this point, which was 2017, the start of your therapy to now, like when you've got all of these like boundaries and things. I know part of that process has been therapy, but I feel like it would be nice to uncover a little bit more about like what that journey has actually looked like in terms of that journey of growth to this place that you are at now. It must have been long and at times painful and at times joyous. And, you know, I was Tanya as well. I wanted to say that I was interested to if, if, this is relevant to the answer. I was interested to hear a bit more about, you mentioned race and your family and you also mentioned how your like relationships, like how you've set clearer boundaries in your relationships. And I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yes, I think for me, so obviously I came out when I was what, or came to understand my sexuality rather when I was like 23 and I didn't tell my family maybe for like, it wasn't even that long after, maybe like six or seven months after. And I think that after that point, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was a really hard time because on the outside of it, it was like, you know, they were fine with it, but then also they didn't talk to me for like two months. So, and the only time when they started talking to me was when I messaged like my little sister, like, just so you know, I'm going to come out on social media. My sister then called up and was like, you can't be doing this. We don't understand it yet. How can you be doing this? And and I was like really emotional and like crying down the phone and stuff, shouting down the phone. And then like my mum called up and I was thinking, okay, my mum's going to come here and like be like, are you okay? And da da da. But she just echoed everything my sister said. And I was just like, well, like that was really hard. And then it was just like, you know, they came to, I, it wasn't a thing of where I just kept on prioritising their their feelings over my own. And like, I would bend over backwards to make sure everyone else is okay, but completely negate my own feelings. And like, they, you know, when I'm sitting, when they're all in the family home and they're doing whatever they're doing, it's fine. But I was at, you know, I was at, I was in a shared accommodation and like, I would be be there just crying in my room. And I don't really, I'm not a massive emotional person, but I just be like crying in my room because I just didn't, to a point and I like was just in a really deep, like dark place. And it was just like, but it was the community and the people around it by going to events, like, especially like events like Gaudens events, Babes and Pussy Palace and stuff. Those spaces were the spaces that I found joy in. Obviously then started nurturing relationships with people within the community and like building friendships with people that really helped kind of offset that loss 
of community that I thought I had with my family, um, which is really great. And then obviously, then you go through dating and all this stuff. And then it's like, it's really hard. I think when you're with men, you're taught like what the boundaries are with men and, you know, men ain't shit and da 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 and fuck what men say and all this stuff. And then it's like you start dating women. And it's almost like, it's really hard, I think, because it's almost like, even, even having boundaries with friends, I think, that we don't often talk about. Do you make all these allowances because you don't want to be mean to another woman or you don't want to, you know, you want to make sure they're okay. And But a woman wouldn't do this to me and all this stuff. And it's just like, I got into, you know, I was dating somebody and it just was not, it was just a very, very toxic setup. And it was just like, I kept on allowing things to happen or allowing things to pass or allowing things to be said that if it was a man dating it, there was no way I would have cut it off there and then. And it got to a point where, you know, I was feeling so shit about myself and feeling like, you know, that I'm not deserving of of anyone and da, da, and all this stuff. And like, and then it got to a point where I was like, you know, actually, I'm not going to do this. And that's when I obviously started going to therapy and started talking around boundaries. And my therapist was really calling out, like, you know, my fear of abandonment and that also led into what happened to my family and stuff like that. And then having breaking that down. And obviously then it came to race with my family. So obviously being mixed race, Obviously, my dad's black, um, British born, uh, but his, his mum's from French Ghana, and she came here when she was like in her twenties or something. Like that. And then my mum's family, who are like white English from Essex, and have like been like they can trace back their family lineage to like the seventeen hundreds. Like, so you've got really, really British, like really English versus my dad, who doesn't necessarily. My dad doesn't have a big family. Like his mum passed away before we were born. Then other sister of of, of his mum, who lives in Brazil, who I only started talking to when I was eighteen. Like I was in Peru doing my gap year and I was like, let's go to see auntie because I've always had this urge to know about my black side. Um, and I like learned Portuguese so I could talk to my aunt because like my dad didn't teach us French. And then... Um, you Wait, wait, wait. You taught yourself Portuguese? Portuguese. That's incredible. I, yeah. yeah, I was going to say... I'm good at languages. That's, that's, thought, that's my random yeah, fact. I'm I thought great you at languages. Um, grew up speaking because I, I saw the pictures of you and your auntie and I was like, wow. Oh, no. And I think you were chatting to her and I was like, oh my God, that's <laughs> so cool. But wow, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, no, I... I taught myself it. I learned Spanish when I was doing my gap year in Peru, and then I obviously started learning Portuguese, and then I should start going. But I've gone, I've gone to Brazil now quite a lot. I spent like well, the longest I spent there was like three and a half months, four months, and yeah, and I, like you know, I learned obviously Portuguese, and the more I spoke to my aunt, like my aunt again, who's also actually mixed race, funny enough. She is such a strong black woman. Like she will come and she will be like, "You're black," like literally, "Don't forget you're black," and like. She can trace back our family from like my dad's side of it anyway. Um, you know, French Ghana to there's like a guy called Felix Abue who was like some head guy in like the French, African French something or other like army, and he's who who my dad's named after. And you know, we we can or enslave people rather, so we can my my aunt can trace us back, and she's always reminding me of like what our lineage comes to and like all this stuff. And she always tells me how similar I am to her, which is really which is a lie. It's funny because my dad obviously gave has got three daughters my my um dad's mum was also one of three three women of three daughters and um she was the first time that told me this first person that ever told me from a family member at least anyway that I am a strong black woman and that I should be a strong black woman and I think the more that I came understanding around race and how it is navigating the world um as a mixed race person as a mixed race black person and also calling out whiteness and white privilege and stuff and also picking apart things that my family members have said it then became really hard to navigate family and my relationship, my white family, because it's just like, I think my mum in particular found it hard because I would call out her family members. I'd say, your family must say some racist shit. Like one of them posted up some like thing about bring back gollywogs on their Facebook page. And I was just like, are you actually all right? Like it just, and even my mum, funny enough, called her out on it on the post. And then she was like, and she just deleted my mum's my comment. Even That's the first time I think my mum has actually called out something from my family members. And then she called, and then the, when the woman deleted it, it's just like, 
and it's just wild. So I think navigating family and especially obviously being mixed race, everyone can identify how they may want to. So you know what I mean? So I've seen my aunt in Brazil more than I've seen any of my family members in the UK. And that just goes to show like, and I think it's hard for my mum and even my mum family to understand why I love my aunt so much and why I hold my aunt on such a pedestal who I've only known since I was 18. Why I love her and why I'm so like enamoured by her versus my mum's white family. And I think it's when, who are people that have like brought me up for all of my life and have been key figures in all my life. And I think that I, yeah, I don't really put myself in their space anymore. And I think it is really hard for my family to understand that. And I think having that required also for me to have my boundaries with family being at family home and like actually, you know bringing my girlfriend home and like them and it's one hand them hearing that I'm queer versus them actually physically seeing me with a girl when I came back from Brazil and I said oh like my girlfriend's gonna come pick up pick me up from the airport too da, 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 she's gonna stay over and like you gotta tell your mum and you know tell my mum and mum's like so where is she gonna stay and I'm thinking well obviously in my bed and my mum was like but she's never asked me that when I was dating men we could have like boys come over and whatever but I never brought them into my bedroom. I think because I had a lot of shame and sex. That's a whole other thing I'd like to unpack. But I would never have bring boys up into my bedroom, whereas my sisters were allowed to have their boyfriends stay over as and when they wanted. And this is the first time that I'd ever had anyone, regardless of gender, come and stay over and actually not like actually stay over as an internal. It's not a, it's not like a secret thing. It's like actually they're gonna stay stay over. And the way they treat my partner was just not okay. I then had to then obviously my partner was really upset and was like, I'm not coming back to your family home again. And I think I then took that I, my immediate response was to take that personally. But then I actually do I do a lot of reflecting and be like my parents actually and my family being really hostile. And this is my dark skinned black girlfriend, lesbian girlfriend, like they're being really hostile towards her. And I was like, I can't do this. And then it just came to a head, like a really big head. Like, and then I was just sitting you know, up and they were like, if we're so homophobic and transphobic, why are you even here? And I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going then. It's just packed my duffel bag. I didn't see my family for like a year and a half after that. But like, even after I left the house, nobody asked me if I was okay. Up until, again, like maybe like a month or so later. And even then, like I got a call from my, on my birthday, I got a call from my, from my, from my nan. And she was like, you know, I heard what happened. First time I said, you know, happy birthday. But like, you know, I heard what happened and you need to stop being so aggressive and you need to stop being so angry and you need to stop doing this. And I'm like, it then makes me think, you know, made me think, well, what story, how has my mum like narrated this? Well, if everyone can prioritise themselves, look after themselves, I have to do that for myself. And I have to put myself first and foremost always because nobody else is going to do it for me. And the people that you're told, like your family, that meant to be there for you all the time, transpires that they're not. And then it's actually, and I think through that, I had to learn boundaries. And even when it came to, you know, when my family were now ready to have me back in their life. And I'm like, no, like you haven't learned anything. Like you're actually, it's actually and then actually having to enforce those boundaries with family um, in terms of, if I and when I see them, learning what my boundaries are, enforcing them and actually saying, okay, cool, like I don't have to do anything that my family say in certain elements. You always have your family on a pedestal to a certain extent. And actually, I think now my priorities, like I've got chosen, my chosen family now who, that's who I have on my pedestal essentially. These are the people that I, I go to now for everything. So I don't go to my family now for anything emotional or anything like that. I don't expect them to understand anything emotional because I know they won't be able to. And um, whereas I know my chosen family and my friends and stuff can, I'm confident to to enforce my boundaries, not just with my family, but with my partner, with my friends, with people who I work with. Like that goes back, then obviously goes back into my auto response and all these things because I need to have myself because nobody's else, nobody else is going to put me first. So I need to make sure that I put myself first. I love that. I love that, that, um, that sort of newfound assertiveness. 
I think it's it's such an important skill to learn. I wanted to just ask one thing, one thing, um, which was, you know, I feel like the, the the journey of growth has been has been like incredible. Um, and there's been so much that you've had to unlearn and learn and unpack and and work through and, you know, navigating in terms of sexuality and also family and race and all of these things. But what and and given all of that and like the work that you're doing now, what do you think like younger Tanya would think about this Tanya? You know what? I think younger Tanya would be, I think maybe a bit, not scared, I think, but I think a bit like nervous around me, I think, if I'm honest with you. I think that <laughs> I was, especially as a young person, like, I was so, again, I used to prioritize other people. I was such a people pleaser. So like I would become what other people wanted of, wanted of me sometimes in negative ways. And, and it's just like, I was fulfilling other people's expectations. And I think that anyone that was different um, scared me because I was thinking, how are you so confident to be this different? Especially, and again, I used to say some homophobic shit. So it's just like, I was, if, if someone said that were queer, I'd be like, what's that? Like, uh. And it's, so I think younger Tanya would have just been so, so on the outward, might be like, outwardly be like, nah, I don't like Tanya, Tanya's weird and da da Inwardly would actually be really, really curious and actually would take home the things that I would like, certain words or explore more about it. So I think that, yeah, I never would, I mean, I, I don't think I would ever expect to do a, being who I am now and having, you know, the family, that chosen family I've got around me more, more specifically and having like actual, like I think, yeah, just having friends that actually, are, you know, hold you accountable, that are there to be your shoulder to cry on, but also then to tell you to fix the fuck up when you're fucking up. And I think that for me is really, really important because it's such an honest, it's it's relationships built on like honest honesty and truth and that people that see you for who you are now, but also leave space for who you may become later. And I've I've seen I I love like watching your um your kind of like throwback pictures of like <laughs> you're like this is this was like hetero Tanya and like oh yeah hetero but, Tanya, um, super femme with acrylics I had like black long acrylics I had the Rihanna haircut I had everything like we all had so... the Rihanna haircut honey we all had that I know haircut. you have to you have to <laughs> no thank you so much for sharing um I feel like we've uncovered a lot and it was really really great to get to know more about you you're very welcome also Tanya I wanted to say that um. Thank you for being so open and talking about therapy like on your social media platforms because it's actually I live knows this because I talk about it almost every episode now. But I started therapy like a month or so ago. But um, but it's it's been really it's I so, I follow a certain amount of people, including you, who, who talk about therapy on their platforms, and it's been really valuable to sort of see people be open and honest about the things that they're kind of going through, and also to to learn um that it's not like a quick fix as well because I think yeah that can be sometimes a bit of a, a misconception I think we have to um you know normalize it and like take away the stigma from talking about therapy and from going to therapy because like you don't have to be have something wrong to go to therapy therapy is like the same way you know just upkeeping yourself mentally and emotionally and almost more preventative than uh re- responsive so so yeah yes. yeah love that awesome thank cool. you thank you so much Lovely. thank you <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of growing up with galdem we hope that you got as much out of it as we did um and if you enjoyed the show please do subscribe like tell your friends about it and check out our website and social media where you can engage with really important topics and discussions through our articles and content across the board we really really appreciate you thank you so much this has been an ii studios production Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll tune into the next one. You can find Growing Up With Galdem on Apple Podcasts, the Acast app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
please leave us a review, rate us and subscribe. It really helps the show. And if you'd like to find out more about Galdem, you can head over to our Instagram page at Galdemzine. That's G-A-L-D-E-M-Z-I-N-E. Or you can visit our website, which is G-A-L hyphen, which is important, D-E-M dot com. Galdem has a book which is out now. It's called I Will Not Be Erased, Our Stories About Growing Up as People of Colour. You can find it in all good bookstores or online. Thank you so much for listening. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 